Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Today's Monday, March 23rd, 2020. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we have the most up-to-date information on COVID-19 pandemic from some of the top African-American experts. The first black surgeon general of the United States, Dr. Joseph Elders, will join us to talk about what the government should be doing and what we should be doing for ourselves. Also, Congresswoman Yvette Clark of New York is here to talk about what the statewide shutdown means for New York residents. Congresswoman Edwardese Johnson, the first nurse ever elected to Congress, will join us about the lack of supplies for medical personnel. Plus, should we be self-testing for the coronavirus? We meet a black man who is building ventilators who says we absolutely should. And how dangerous is it for prisoners during this outbreak? And what should be done about it? We'll talk to an expert. Reverend Dr. William Barber is launching a digital poor people's campaign. He is here to tell us all about it. Folks, it's a jam-packed show. It's time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Yeah, it's so 
Folks, there are currently 40,841 cases of COVID-19 in 50 states here in the U.S. in three U.S. territories. At least 483 patients with the virus have died. The World Health Organization Director General Tetro Adenom Gabriel says the outbreak is accelerating but believes that we can change the trajectory. And in fact, what they've said is that it's actually shrunk in terms of the in terms of the cases, how we reach the point of 100,000. The Surgeon General of the United States, he said this week could get very bad. In New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo laid out his plan in his daily briefing. Supplies are the ongoing challenge nationwide. Masks, PPE, ventilators are the number one precious commodity. This is happening on an ad hoc basis. Uh, we are competing with other states, as I have said. We have made uh, certain strides. We have a full team working on it. We're very aggressive. We're talking to other countries around the world. We're talking to companies. We have New York manufacturers who are really stepping up to the plate and converting factories, etc. But this is not the way to do it. This is ad hoc. I'm competing with other states. I'm bidding up other states on the prices because you have manufacturers who sit there and can California offers them four dollars and they say well California offered four dollars I offer five dollars another state calls in and offers six dollars it's it's not the way to do it I was speaking to uh, governor JB Pritzker uh, yesterday about this why are we competing let the federal government put in place the Federal Defense Production Act it does not nationalize any industry. Uh, all it does is say to a factory, you must produce this quantity. That's all it does. I understand the voluntary public-private sector partnership, and there are a lot of good companies who are coming forward and saying, let us help. But it can't just be, hey, who wants to help, let me know. We need to know what the numbers of what we need produced and who is going to produce that and when. Uh, I get that a lot of companies are stepping up and doing good things. And that's a beautiful thing. They're doing it here in New York, too. But you can't run this operation that way. It can't just be based on uh, we're waiting for people to come forward with offers. And if you have to happen to get a lot of offers on gloves, then you have a lot of gloves. But if you get no offers on masks, then you don't have masks. The Federal Defense, Defense Production Act just says you can tell a company, manufacture this many by this date. Yes, it is an assertion of government power on private sector companies. Yes. But so what? This is a national emergency. And you're paying the private sector company. They're going to produce a good, and they're going to get paid. And by the way, they're going to get paid handsomely. You cannot continue to do these supplies on an ad hoc. Most medical experts are sounding the alarm about the lack of test kits, even though Donald Trump says it's no big deal. 
Well, we're testing uh, everybody that we need to test. We're finding very little problem. And I'm very concerned because we don't have enough testing kits. It's very likely that there are a lot more people in the U.S. who have coronavirus, but we're just not testing for it. We'll have over a million tests in the field today. About 1.5 million test kits going out as we speak. That by the end of the week, they should be able to get out about 75,000 tests. You had mentioned 4 million tests before. By the end of uh, the week, hopefully. Anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the test. The okay. idea of anybody getting it, we're not set up for that. People should not say, if you want a test, you go get a test right now. We've got a long way to be able to go to be able to get rapid, efficient testing. 1.4 million tests on board next week. We expect at least 2 million next week. When will every American who needs a test get a test? Well, you're hearing clear. very positive things about testing. There are Americans, though, who say that they have me. symptoms and they can't get yeah, tests. Well, okay. what, do you, what do you say to the Americans not, who are saying that they have I'm not hearing it. I understand and empathize with the people who rightfully are saying, I'm trying to get a test and I can't. So, so is that a way of saying we are not yet at a point where we are meeting the demand pressure? Well, the answer is yes, uh, John. We are not there yet because otherwise people would be never calling up saying they can't get a test. I just can't emphasize enough about the incredible progress that we have made on testing. All right, folks, the White House right now is having their live news conference. Let's go to it. And if Trump starts lying, we're going to correct him. Asian American community in the United States and all around the world. They're amazing people. And the spreading of the virus is not their fault in any way, shape, or form. They're working closely with us to get rid of it. We will prevail together. It's very important. From the beginning, we have been working closely with our nation's best scientists and medical professionals, and we will continue to do so until we have defeated the virus. Our public health experts, who are terrific, are studying the variation and the disease across the country, and we will be using data to recommend new protocols to allow local economies to cautiously resume their activity at the appropriate time. We also have a large team working on what the next steps will be once the medical community gives the region the okay, meaning the okay to get going, to get back, let's go to work. Our country wasn't built to be shut down. This is not a country that was built for this. It was not built to be shut down. My administration continues to work with Democrats and Republicans to reach an agreement on an urgent relief bill for the millions of American workers and small businesses and large businesses that were badly affected by the medical difficulty that we've had. If you had a viable business in January, we are committed to ensuring the same is true in the coming weeks. In fact, we want to make it even better than it was before, and we're doing things to help in that regard. America will again and soon be open for business, uh, very soon. A lot sooner than uh, three or four months that somebody was suggesting. A uh, lot sooner. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. We're not going to let the cure be worse than the problem. At the end of the 15-day period, we'll make a decision as to which way we want to go, where we want to go, the timing. And essentially, we're referring to the timing of the opening, essentially the opening of our country, because we have it pretty well shut down in order to get rid of this 
invisible enemy. Two weeks ago, we moved at record speed to pass paid sick leave and paid family medical leave and approved $8 billion, including money for the development of treatments and vaccines. And we're doing tremendous work in both on both fronts. The vaccines are coming along very quickly. Now, Congress must demonstrate the same bipartisanship again and join together to pass the Senate bill as written and avoid playing any more partisan games. They have to get together and just stop with the partisan politics. And uh, I think that's happening. I got a call a little while ago. I guess they're getting closer. It should go quickly. And uh, it must go quickly. It's not really a choice. They don't have a choice. They have to make a deal. This should not be a time for political agendas, but rather one for focusing solely and squarely on the needs of the American people. We are going to save American workers, and we're going to save them quickly. And we're going to save our great American companies, both small and large. This was a medical problem. We are not going to let it turn into a long-lasting financial problem. It started out as a purely medical problem, and it's not going to go beyond that. We're just not going to allow that to happen. Our country was at its strongest financial point. We've never had an economy like we had just a few weeks ago, and then it got uh, hit with something that nobody could have ever thought possible. And we are fixing it. We're fixing it quickly. And I want to just thank the American people for what they've been through and what they're doing. Our country will be stronger than ever before, and we fully anticipate that, and it won't be that long. Let me provide you with an update on critical supplies. FEMA is distributing 8 million N95 respirator masks and 13.3 million surgical masks across the country right now. Focusing on the areas with the greatest need, we've shipped 73 pallets of personal protective equipment to New York City and 36 pallets to the state of Washington. In the past 96 hours, FEMA has also received donations of approximately 6.5 million masks. We're having millions and millions of masks made. Well, Y'all can uh, what you do is here, just drop the audio down on the end. Just come back to me. Uh, joining us right now uh, is uh, kill the audio of that feed. Keep the feed up. Just kill the audio. Joining us right now is Congresswoman Yvette Clark uh, from the state of New York. Glad to have her here at Roller Martin Unfiltered. Congresswoman, when you listen to what Donald Trump is saying, okay, it looks like we uh, lost Congresswoman Clark. Be sure to let me know we have her back. We have Congresswoman Edwards Johnson of Texas. Okay, Congresswoman Johnson. I think we may, I think we may be back, Roland. Uh, there we go. There we go, Congresswoman Clark. Congresswoman Clark, glad to have you here. Uh, so first and foremost, Congresswoman, uh, you just heard Donald Trump sitting here talking about what they're doing for New York. New York has become ground zero, if you will, uh, for the um, coronavirus pandemic here in New York. Um, is this administration, as far as you're concerned, that has, has been late to the game? Uh, all of a sudden, he says he's taking it seriously, but now they want to roll back the social distancing, which, according to experts, that's actually helping to end this crisis. Well, you know, that's not going to happen, Roland. We are following the leadership of our mayor and our governor here who have their fingers on the pulse of what's happening in our state and in our city. And we are just at the beginning of this crisis in New York City because we live 
densely populated. We are in a vertical city and the virus is spreading. So what are we doing here? We are telling people to stay home uh, for those who have a home to go to because we've got multiple layers of challenge uh, in a city like New York where we have a significant homeless population, a significant homeless youth population, and being able to provide shelter for everyone that maintains social distancing, that uh, creates a, a, an opportunity for them to uh, you know, shelter in place, to be sanit uh, to adhere to all of our sanitary um, uh, requirements, washing their hands, keeping their hands away from their face, having sanitized their environments. And uh, it's, it's, it's a mammoth task here in the city of New York. And we are focused on getting our folks to uh, shelter in place, for lack of a better term, basically stay right. home because and only access uh, essential uh, services and things that, that they may need to be sheltered. Well, Congresswoman, you just heard uh, your governor talk about the National Defense Production Act. Donald Trump refuses to invoke it. And what's, cause, what's happening is these people who are making masks and ventilators, they're jacking the prices up and making these states compete, if you will. And it's sort of like, hey, survival of the fittest. Isn't the point of the law, isn't, isn't the point of the law uh, in order to Absolutely. get people to not do that? That's the problem when you have an incompetent individual in the White House right now. That should have been done day one, knowing that we were flat-footed when the virus took hold in our, in our nation. He, he was a, essentially sitting down on a couch with his feet up when this took place. And now we are trying to flatten the curve. We're trying to do everything we can to mitigate the ultimate damage that this virus can have on our society. We see what's going on in Italy. We see other uh, examples around the world of how they've gone about uh, arresting the spread of the virus. And we should have had that Defense uh, Production Act done immediately because we need to see this as a war effort. Everyone has, to, has already had to change their way of life, adjust their way of life. We need to make sure that companies, uh, manufacturers are doing everything they can do to produce all of the emergency uh, materials that we need at this time. We can talk about everything else after we save life. Right now, we need ventilators. We need HEPA filters. We need uh, the personal protective equipment for our, our frontline folks, everyone from folks in the hospitals, the folks who are driving people to work, our transit workers, right? Uh, you know, and, and everyone in between, our first responders. This is an all-out emergency, and the fact that Donald Trump has not done his job uh, is putting life and limb at risk, and we're losing life with each and every hour that passes, and he's not done this. All right. It, it's, it's a shame. It's a disgrace. We have to do what we can to pressure this administration to get to get its 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 act together, while at the state level, at the municipal level, right. using whatever resource we have at our disposal to sort of you know hold back this tide to flatten this curve. But it's coming, Roland. It's All coming. right, Congresswoman Vic Clark of New York. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
listen, we can do this. There's no doubt in my mind that the people who are uh, engaged in helping us to navigate this are doing everything in their efforts. It's up to each and every one of us to do our part right now. And I know that the black community is ready to comply and do whatever it takes to make sure that our seniors are protected, that our most vulnerable in terms of their health care is protected. We're going to come through this. But everyone does their part. Together, we're going to come through this. All right, Congresswoman Yvette Clark, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland. All right, folks, let's go now to Congresswoman Anybody's Johnson of Texas. She is the first nurse ever elected uh, to Congress. Congresswoman, what are you hearing from the nursing community uh, when it comes to how they are uh, dealing with shortages of gowns and masks and ventilators? Uh, what are you hearing? Well, there's great shortage, and the nurses are the most important caregivers. They spend more time with patients than anyone else. I think it's important that they are furnished what they're needed. Uh, I know that locally there's been great push on getting the appropriate attire and protection. We are beginning to see more and more cases, and so we know that we're in for a while. And we must know that we must get protection for our first-line caregivers. If we, If all of our nurses get sick, there would be no place to go to treat the people. So we know how important it is, and, and nurses know that as well. Um, when you also hear what's happening on Capitol Hill uh, in terms of the bill over in the Senate, uh, of course, it did not uh, be closer for a second time. Democrats are saying that, uh, that the Republican uh, bill is, frankly, filled with too much uh, pork for corporations. Uh, what say you? Well, I agree with what they're saying. Uh, I remember the last time we had a bailout, the people didn't get any uh, money put down to their level. Uh, they simply bought back all of their stock and all of the the good words that they said as the money came in didn't happen. The workers did not get any attention. It all stopped at the top. That is what the Democrats are trying to make sure does not happen this time. And I am not for giving away this money for a bailout. I am for making a loan uh, for the money with specifics so that it goes directly to the service and directly to the people that causes the service to happen. Um, last question for you again, uh, moving forward. You hear Donald Trump saying that they may make a decision to stop uh, the uh, social distancing. He's talking about how how's impact on the economy. Uh, as a nurse, uh, is that a bad idea when you hear the Surgeon General who says that this week could be the worst yet? Well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm inclined to go with the researchers and the knowledgeable people. It is bigger than just having some income at this time. We've got to save lives, and that must be number one. If we had kept the program in place that President Obama put in place when we first heard about the coming pandemic, we would be further along in trying to address it. Some of the same scientists that has disagreed with the president that he's eliminated from his first team now were the ones who were ready to go after the research at that time. But because the funds being taken away, they were not able to get to their work. So here we are 
in the middle of the pandemic, and we should be focusing on stopping the virus rather than paying for the damage of the virus. But now that we've gotten here, we've got to pay for the damage of the virus, but we cannot forget we must stop the virus. All right. Congresswoman Elizabeth uh, Johnson, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, let's go back live to the White House. Attorney General William Barr is now speaking. Let's hear what he has to say. We're studying it very closely, watching it very closely. You probably saw a couple of articles today came out where a gentleman, they thought... All right, so we're going to, again, uh, William Barr, we're going to double-check uh, the feed there. William Barr is actually um, at the podium now, and so uh, that appeared to be the older feed, and so we're going to fix that. Uh, one of the things that we are also monitoring with what's going on here, first of all, guys, you noticed uh, that Donald Trump is the one who is uh, leading uh, these news conferences. Look like, for some reason, he didn't like all the attention that Vice President Mike Pence uh, has been getting. They started this news conference, and uh, Pence wasn't up there. He's up there now. Now, let's go back to the news conference live right now signed a second executive order providing the authority to address, if it becomes necessary, hoarding that threatens the supply of those necessary health and medical resources. Under Section 102 of the Defense Production Act, the President is authorized to prohibit the hoarding of needed resources by designating those materials as scarce or as materials whose supply would be threatened by persons accumulating ex excessive amounts. Once specific materials are so designated, persons are prohibited from accumulating those items in excess of reasonable personal or business needs or for the purpose of selling them in excess of prevailing market prices. It is a crime to engage in prohibited activity. In today's executive order, the president is delegating to the secretary of HHS this authority. We're going to keep monitoring that live news conference. Joining us right now on our panel is, of course, in studio, Scott Bolden, former chair, National Bar Association Political Action Committee. Joining us via Skype is Brittany Lee Lewis, political analyst, as well as a political analyst historian, and Dr. Avis Jones-DeWeaver, who is political analyst as well. Scott, when you hear... Uh, Donald Trump talking about uh, stepping away from the um, uh, social distancing uh, because he is concerned about the economy. Pretty much what the New York Times is reporting that he is he is basically uh, ignoring his uh, ignoring his his specialists, ignoring okay. the scientists, and they're saying that they, they they were giving too much power to the scientists. Um, <laughs> you probably want to listen to your health experts in a moment like this. Yeah, we certainly do. I know at Reed Smith, we uh, certainly are uh, looking uh, and listening to the experts. Uh, we're on, we're telecommuting, if you will. Uh, we're open, but we're still practicing law with our clients, and our clients are shut down as well. It's interesting when you listen to the press conference, uh, Roland, and you listen to the various experts there, you listen to the governor of New York, and then you listen to Trump. Uh, at, at minimum, it's confusing. Uh, worse, uh, it's just... Uh, offensively misleading in the sense that this is the leader of the, of the world and I want to be listening to him. I want to be comforted by him. I want him to tell me with some credibility and authenticity that this thing is going to be all right. But I said it before, the most powerful man in America right now is not Donald Trump. It's uh, Tony Fauci, who is uh, the lead scientist, lead medical 
person on this from the, uh, I think he's from the CDC. Or no, for National Institutes of Health. National uh, Institutes uh, of it, Health. Yeah, it's uh, in terms of dealing with allergies and some of those. I mean, he's a top expert, but right. he gave an interview with, with Science Magazine where uh -huh. he's like, Okay, it's a little hard to go up there, and, and you, you have a new correct the president uh, when he's basically lying. <laughs> but notice that he's still there. The president hasn't attacked him, and the president hasn't gotten rid of him because he's the most trusted. He's been in that position for 30-plus years. He's served three, four, five presidents. And I got to tell you, he is the, the most credible, and that's who we need to be listening to. Just like the governors aren't listening to the president, the governors, the governors have taken the lead in the states because they can't rely on the president, and the president and the federal government ought to be leading. As we discussed. Hold tight one second. I want to go back to the news conference to find out what's happening with testing. Let's go right ahead. Reality data will give you the best insight right now on how the epidemic is proceeding in those countries because they really can't be testing at the level to really understand the depth and breadth of their new cases. In the mortality data that has been provided to us, there has been no child under 15 that has succumbed to the virus in Europe. There was the one 14-year-old in China. So we still see that there is less severity in children. And so that should be reassuring to the moms and dads out there. To Generation Z and to my millennial colleagues who have been really at the forefront of many of these responses, less than 1% of all the mortality is less than 50. And so this is, I think, also a very important point. That doesn't mean that individuals won't have severe disease. So still 99% of all the mortality coming out of Europe in general is over 50 and pre-existing conditions. The pre-existing condition piece still holds in Italy with the majority of the mortality having three or more pre-existing conditions. I think this is reassuring to all of us, but it doesn't change the need to continue to protect the elderly. And in order to protect the elderly, we all need to continue to do the president's directives and guidance for the next week of the 15-day challenge. Finally, I wanted to really close by thanking the laboratory personnel that have been at the front lines. 250,000 tests have been run in the last seven days. This happened because these large commercial laboratories are doing round-the-clock runs. And remember, all of them Take being... Take the audio out. Thank you. Avis, you hear her saying 250,000 tests are being run. We were, we were promised 4 million. We were lies, promised... lies, and more lies. All they do is lie in this administration. And the sad thing is, and it's beyond sad, this is criminal. You know, I call this criminally negligent level of incompetence that we have seen out of this administration. They continue to, to sort of dangle this promise of testing in front of the American populace, and they never live up to anywhere, getting anywhere near what they're promising. And now at the same time, they are going to even magnify their incompetence by what it seems like alluding to that they are going to end the social distancing in a week. You just heard her say and she looked to Trump right before she said it for like another week. It's as if they will not be satisfied until they definitely kill millions of people in this nation because of their utter incompetence. And it's time for him to go. Honestly, I wish someone would invoke the 25th Amendment because clearly he presents a clear and present danger to this nation and to the citizens of this nation. He is not a wartime president. He is a president who, through his incompetence, is committing a one-man war against the citizens of this nation.
I want to go to uh, Brittany. Brittany, when, again, when we see what is happening uh, with all of a sudden now the Trump administration uh, sending these signals, it's all about the economy, you know, we can't destroy our economy because of this, but you have more states who are now saying shelter in place. We had California, we had New York State, uh, Illinois, now we have Massachusetts, now we have Wisconsin, excuse me, Michigan. Uh, more and more states are saying this is where we have to go. Dallas County has issued that order. So states and counties and, and uh, mayors are looking towards this. Donald Trump says, oh, we pretty much got the nation shut down. No, we don't. <laughs> we, we, we absolutely do not. You still have people who are congregating. Just this weekend, these dumbasses in D.C. were literally walking around about the cherry blossoms. I don't give a damn about some cherry blossoms. Now, look, it was gorgeous in D.C., 72 degrees. There's no way in hell I'm about to risk my damn uh, health by going to see some damn cherry blossoms. Well, they you were cherry blossoms. It's unfortunate, and I think it's so important for us um, to do something about Donald Trump. Um, and I think that I'm so grateful for the leadership for the majority of the states that have uh, taken the steps to, you know, give those stay-at-home orders and be rigid. But unless we have this on a national level, um, I don't really see this going down. I've heard a ton of experts talk about how we have to do everything at the same exact time, and there needs to be a national order to stop this virus from spreading as rapidly as it is. And like you said, you have people outside looking at the cherry blossoms. I know we saw what happened in Florida with the beachgoers. This is continuing to spread, and people are not taking it seriously. I even saw a few people, uh, and I think it was Okeechobee, Florida, uh, there was a politician there who was saying that we can kill the virus with a blow dryer. Um, and it's those type of things that are extremely scary, and which is why we need excellent leadership coming down from the federal level to control this. Uh, again, folks, uh, I mean, this is the sort of the, the nonsense uh, that was happening um, uh, this week in D.C. When I talk about all those people who were out, actually, when I was coming into office, uh, looks like the police finally used some common sense. And so pretty much uh, all around the National Mall, it was blocked off uh, with police. Um, it is it, just amazing, again, uh, to actually listen uh, to what is happening, um, listen to with this administration and these mixed signals that they are sending. Uh, real quick, I want to go back to the news conference. Before we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. George the Elders, nation's first black surgeon general. So let's go back to the, let's go back to the, uh, I'm going to go back to the White House in just a second uh, to pull up exactly what's going on there. Uh, I think Mike Pence is uh, now talking. So folks, uh, go ahead. And pull it up. The federal government are brought to bear. The president wanted us to make it clear that uh, the federal government will do whatever it takes uh, to support an effort that is locally executed, state managed, and federally supported. Uh, we have reiterated that to our governors today. Listen to them about their specific needs, uh, and uh, and frankly, made it clear to them uh, that while the president uh, has published at coronavirus.gov, the 15 days to slow the spread for every American, and millions of Americans are addressing these common sense guidelines uh, to prevent uh, the spread of the coronavirus uh, in the days ahead. We made it clear to the governors that this president and this administration fully supports decisions that governors are making in communities and states that are particularly impacted by the spread of the coronavirus, and we are grateful uh, for their efforts. Uh, we also spoke to the governors about the importance of the legislation that is currently being negotiated on Capitol Hill uh, and uh, asked them to encourage members of the House and the Senate to move very quickly. The bill that is currently being 
negotiated. The president uh, said that he believes will be resolved soon, and we're encouraged by it. We'll speed directly. We're going to dip back out of that. Uh, I want to pull up right now the nation's first black surgeon general, Dr. Jocelyn Elders of Arkansas. Dr. Elders, how are you doing? Fine, how are you? Uh, certainly glad uh, to see you since uh, we were together uh, at uh, graduation at Philander Smith. Uh, yes. And so we, you, we were on it, and so was I. Uh, for, first and foremost, um, as, as, as a woman who served in that capacity as a nation's surgeon general, to listen to Donald Trump and his political leaders now say they may walk back the, the social distancing, uh, which Dr. Fauci and others have been saying is important. He was on the Today Show this morning, I'm going to pull the clip up in a second, saying that that might have to continue for several more weeks so we can get ahead of this. But you have folks like Trump, Larry Cutlow, they're so concerned about the stock market that they say, oh, we shouldn't allow this to kill our economy. W what say you? Roland, we've got to listen to the scientists. We can't afford to listen to people who really don't know the science and don't know what they're talking about. I very much, you know, I realize Mr. Trump is our president, but we've got to listen to the scientists on this. And, yet, and, and we know that we can't afford to be worrying about the stock market when we need to be worrying about saving the lives of millions of people. If we do not get ahead of this virus, well, we can contaminate our whole country, and then, you know, we can lose millions and millions of lives. So I say that we need to really listen to what's been said on the things we need to do to protect our health. You know, we've got to make sure that we abide, abide by all the rules. We've got to stop this virus and try and get ahead of it because we don't have enough doctors, beds, nurses, or anything else to take care of all the people who might get sick. So I feel that we have to close down everything. We've got to close down. We've got to stand and be as far away from our people as we can. We've got to isolate at home. We've got to close our schools, whatever we need to do to try and get our arm around this virus. And we've all got to be involved. You talk about close everything down, and, and I have been saying on this show for two weeks, because I've been listening to Dr. Fauci and others, that the only way for us to be able to get ahead of this is to have a national shutdown because, let's just be honest, Americans are hard-headed. Yes. There, are, there are Americans out who go, we're free, we're the land, we're ha, land, home of the land of free, home of the brave, whatever the hell they say, and, and, and we should be able to go wherever we want to go. But the bottom line is this here. If you don't know who's sick, if you've got people who are asymptomatic, but they actually have it, then you got right. people who are showing symptoms, but they can't get a test. When you have the administration saying that we were supposed to have four and 5,000 tests, when you heard uh, the doctor there just say uh, they've only run 250,000 tests so far, these private laboratories, is, is that we still have not reached critical mass to have an understanding of where we are. You look at what's happening in New York, you look at the governor of California, you look at people who are saying that upwards of half of the country could very well have the coronavirus, not enough ventilators, and, but then Trump says, well, we pretty much have a national shutdown, but we don't. And so, I, and I look, as somebody with a business, that's the last thing I want, but I don't understand how someone can think you're going to 
fight this and get ahead of it and flatten the curve if we go back to business as usual? There's no way we can do that. And we've got to listen to our scientists and do what they say if we want to get ahead of it. Otherwise, we'll keep getting further and further behind, and it'll cost more and more, and we'll have more and more people die. So all of America has got to become involved, and we've got to get, if we want to stop this. And, and, and you know what? We don't have to do whatever we have to do. We had, um, let's talk about real quick this particular drug that Trump keeps touting as the miracle drug uh, and, and, and the role that it could play. We understand that people with lupus require, you know, really f require this drug. Now all of a sudden we're hearing many of them won't have the ability uh, to be able to get the drug because people are just going in and buying it as well. And again, as somebody who's a doctor, how unsound is it? to hear a president touting a drug, saying that it is a vaccine when it literally hasn't even been tested on people specific to the coronavirus. You're absolutely right. I feel that our president should step back and let the scientists speak. You know, uh, this uh, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine, have been available for years to treat malaria. So we know that it, that it is effective and, it's, and that we know about the toxicity in relation to malaria. But we don't know much at all about it in relation to uh, this virus. So I, I think that we've got to really test it and evaluate it. We can't afford to go out, start, even if we had it available, given everybody uh chloroquine, right. hydroxychloroquine, when, when it hadn't been, we don't know how toxic it might be. Dr. Them. Elders, I'm going to play something. This is literally what Donald Trump said just a few moments ago. Folks, go ahead go to my iPad. Chloroquine. And uh, you can look from any standpoint tomorrow in New York. We think tomorrow pretty early, the hydroxychloroquine and uh, the z -Pack, I think, is a combination, probably is looking very, very good, and it's going to be distributed. We have uh, 10,000 units going, and it'll be uh, distributed tomorrow. Uh, it'll be available, uh, and is now. They already have it. They're going to distribute it tomorrow morning to a lot of people in New York City and New York. Uh, we're studying it very closely, watching it very closely. You probably saw a couple of articles today came out where a gentleman, they thought he was not going to make it. He said goodbye to his family. They had given him the drug just a little while before, but he thought it was over. His family thought he was uh, going to die. And a number of hours later, he woke up, felt good. Then he woke up again, and he felt really good, and he's in good shape. And he's very happy for this particular um, drug that we got approved in record-setting time. There's never been anything even close to it. And I want to thank the FDA, which has been incredible. Again, Dr. Elder, he's talking, Dr. Elder, he's talking about one dude. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You, know, we, you know, we can't go on one patient. When you were talking about using it on ten, tens of thousands, or even millions of people, 
we've got to listen to Dr. Fauci and do the studies. We cannot afford to go around treating one patient and looking at the results. That patient might have gotten well anyway. It is, uh, it is, it is just certainly uh, sad to watch again. And, and, and here, for me, is, is real basic. Look, I, I've, I've had black doctors my entire life. And if I'm having a health issue and I got a choice between uh, my doctor and my lawyer and my mechanic, I <laughs> damn sure not going to listen to the mechanic and the lawyer about something dealing with my health. You're absolutely right. And this is what we've got to stop listening to all these myths and fairy tales. And, our, and our, the leader of our country has got to stop shopping myths. In fact, I want to play this for you. That, that was, a, that was a, a, a commissioner's meeting in Florida where this county commissioner literally started spouting something he heard on that crazy right-wing network Donald Trump loves. About, in matter of fact, a black woman sent me a tweet as well saying, hey, they said you can use a blow dryer that will actually stop the coronavirus. Y'all play that video, please. This might sound kind of silly, but being in the medical field that I was as a paramedic, it, it started to make a lot of sense. One of the things that was pointed out in this interview with one of the doctors, foremost doctors that has studied the coronavirus, says that the nasal passages, passages and the nasal membranes are the coolest part of the body. That's why the virus tends to go there until it then becomes healthy enough to go into the lungs. This sounds really goofy, and it did to me too, but it works. Once the temperature reaches 136 degrees Fahrenheit, the virus falls apart and just it disintegrates, okay? And I said, well, how would you get the temperature up to 132 degrees? The answer was you use a blow dryer because it's capable of doing that. So you hold a blow dryer in front of your face and you inhale with your nose and it kills all the viruses in your nose. Okay. I, I, so I would just... I would just caution residents to, you know, if there, there's lots of misinformation out there, we're hearing and learning a lot on social media, and, and, and there's just a lot of misinformation on how to cure this disease. And, you know, I, I personally would just leave that to your medical provider. I, I, I've heard so much, you know, just sad information about, you know, how to how to cure this virus. And it's a new virus. That's why they call it a novel, novel coronavirus. And just caution, um, caution on the you know, mechanisms of, you know, trying to, to, you know, treat. The, come on. Dr. Elders, this fool literally said, <laughs> I used to be a paramedic and I read this, hear from this doctor, and that was a study. Hold a hairdryer to your face and let it yeah. blow 130-degree heat into your nose. What? You got to inhale. You got to Absolutely no <laughs> sense. Doc, doc, go ahead. Take it away. I, that makes absolutely no sense. And I feel that, uh, that, that that's, that's a horrible myth. And he, that person needs to go to their doctor mm -hmm. and see what their doctor says about this. Because, you know, they, I suspect that I wonder what really happened to that patient. And I wonder if they really got the temperature to 136 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, we just cannot de 
have all of these lies. And, doc, and... It, doc, if I put 136 <laughs> degree in front of my face... You're gonna have a big, bad burn. I'm gonna burn my damn face! <laughs> I'm, right. I'm, that's the craziest... So I'm gonna try to kill the coronavirus and now give myself a, a facial, nose, nostril, mouth burn. And probably kill you. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Dr. Joseph Elders, always good talking with you. Look forward to having you back on as we continue <laughs> moving down this path because we need sensible, uh, sensible people. Thank you. And so, and we want to keep... Let's try to get some good things. Oh, yeah. No, no, absolutely. That's, that's why we talk That's why we talk to the top, top black experts, not these crazy folk out here uh, who come in with their home remedies uh, dealing with coronavirus. <laughs> Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. It, it will make a great big difference and hopefully save a lot of our people. All right, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, I'm going gonna go, gonna to go back to my panel. Scott, that, that, this, <laughs> this, is, but this is the thing that is, that is amazing you're seeing. Mm. This is a person who is an elected official, a mm. county in Florida, and this dumbass is literally saying, and it came from y'all, that OANN network, that far right wing network, and y'all gotta understand, <laughs> you got crazy ass Jim Baker out there top, to selling uh, coronavirus cures live. You got uh, the, the sister of Letitia James in New York ordered Alex Jones to stop selling this stuff. Mm. And these crazy ass right wingers, they're falling for it. And guess where one of the first places where they got it? CPAC at their conference, the right wing conference. And then, of course, it spread, letting people get in quarantine right now. There were six people who did not vote for the bill yesterday in the Senate. Five of them Republicans, because, <coughs> hell, all five quarantined. Mm, mm, mm. What was your question? They crazy. <laughs> well, well, of, course, of course they are. It's interesting that the Republicans seem to be getting this coronavirus more than any other political group. I'm not talking crazy. I'm just saying the ones in the quarantine are the ones who aren't taking any of those precautions. I, I that, the gentleman that you just ran the tape on. God bless Joycelyn Elders. I mean, she's she's a senior. Uh, uh, of ours in this country right now, still sharp as ever, without a doubt. But it's just practical sense. He actually said that publicly. The speaker after him tried to say, everybody just go to the doctor. But he actually said that publicly with, uh, with uh, some deep belief systems. So we know that's not working. I'd urge your viewers and listeners, uh, just be practical, right? Don't go out. Uh, use, use Perel. Uh, use gloves, if you will. I don't know what the debate is on the mask. I, I've lost, I got lost on the whole debate of whether a mask works or not. But self-quarantine until, until we get through this. It makes no sense to take those types of chances. Brittany, because first of all, it was a black woman who sent me that, that, that blow dry. I, and I told her, you got your damn mind. Where's the text? I said, don't, I said, don't, Where's I, the black I, woman I, I said, I said, don't, don't say that. I said, don't say that to nobody else. I said, don't, don't do that. And I'm saying, if you put, I mean, if you put a blow dry in front, first of all, y'all, this person literally said, imagine this is a blow dry, and I'm going to put the blow dry that close to my nose. Put it on high. And put that sucker on high. 136 oh degrees. God. Your ass, you're going to burn, you're going to burn the inside of your mouth. The outside, your lips, your no your nostrils. Brittany gone. Go ahead.
It's really scary. I mean, first off, what does it say about some of our elected officials and their inability to discern um, correct information, you know, peer-reviewed information, scientifically studied and sealed information? I mean, it's scary to think that you have an elected official getting their information from the far right-wing sources. Um, that That's my fear. And, of course, all of their, you know, their constituents that are going to follow their lead. And, th- and they're going to sit at home and they're going to hold up that, you know, that dryer to their face and cry because that's what they heard their one of their um, you know elected leaders say that they should do. So it's petrifying. I, all I can do is caution the American people to listen to the scientists, listen to the medical professionals, listen to our healthcare workers and leaders, um, because some of our administration, uh, you know, and our elected officials just 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 don't know what's going on. Avis, and I'm gonna need black people, Avis, to stop sending around these dumbass recipes. <laughs> From their great-grandmama and their grandmama and their granddaddy that came from the country. I don't want to hear nothing about eating oranges, sucking on garlic, (laughs) um, uh, swallowing uh, Vicks Vapor Rub. I mean, stop. Don't forget Robitussin. Stop. (laughs) Wait, wait, what was that? Don't forget what? This is not the cold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. You know, I've been getting some uh, texts and inboxes on social media. And, you know, I know people have the best of intentions. And these, you know, they're trying to look out for you. But the bottom line is this. Now is the time to really uh, sort of prioritize medical science and what you're hearing from reputable sources. Uh, but what we are seeing it play out in real time, I think A. Scott Bolden hit the nail on the head when he mentioned, he, had, he said it kind of facetiously, but it's actually true, that we are seeing a, a, a political divide, uh, at least in terms of the politicians that we know. We don't know in terms of the general population who has it and what their political um, leanings are. But we are seeing, for example, more Republicans than Democrats on Capitol Hill that seem to be uh, either quarantine or testing or uh, already found to have uh, this infection, like, you know, Paul Ryan. Um, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it is, it is to me, it's sad to say this, but to me it's kind of like the chickens coming home to roost. Because mm-hmm. this is a political party that has waged war against science for years, for years. It's the same political party that literally went so far as to ban words, for example, like climate change, because they didn't want the science to be shared. It's also a political party that has peddled in conspiracy theories for years, for years, for their own political gain, all the way up until today. It's a political party that has created a propaganda arm whose very purpose is to spread lies. And that particular propaganda arm just a couple of weeks ago, was telling millions of people over and over and over again that this issue was a hoax, that coronavirus wasn't real, that it was some democratic conspiracy to make the president look Mm -hmm, bad. mm -hmm. And so when you have people who specifically have made it their political sort of whooping boy to always claim that science doesn't matter, to claim that people who actually go and study things and know more about something than they do are somehow bad people, (laughs) and people who have built a political empire based on lies, when you have a moment where they can't lie them their way out of it, 
because the virus doesn't care that you don't believe it's mm-hmm. true. Mm-hmm. It's still there. Then you have a situation where no matter how many lies they tell, the truth is going to come out. And so the chickens, unfortunately, are coming home to roost. Uh, But the bad thing is, because they've done such a good job of brainwashing their constituency, their lack of ability to decipher facts from fiction will put the rest of us at risk. Mm -hmm. So that's the real, real tragedy here. It's not just their sort of evil nature in spreading lies that have now created a situation where people don't even believe the truth. It's the fact that because of their negligence, they are putting us all in danger because they have millions of people who are literally unable to decipher mm-hmm. fact from fiction. Um, let's, first of all, um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm monitoring um, this news conference. Um, uh, first of all, what's happening is uh, folks are um, asking questions. Uh, uh, first, again, if you're asking Donald Trump a question right now, it's, it's really... Uh, a, a waste of your damn breath. Uh, so, uh, so let's let's go back. Let's see what he's lying about right now. Called <laughs> me today. Uh, we're going to be helping them out in Illinois. Uh, we're doing a lot of things in Florida. We're doing a lot of things, and uh, between FEMA and uh, the Army Corps of Engineers and the Admiral and your group in terms of the purchasing, that's what he does. He purchases. He's supposed to be great. I'll tell you in about uh, two days. But uh, he's going to do a fantastic job. So we have an incredibly talented group of people. Uh, But, yeah, we'll be doing two things and three things at one time. Well, at the same time, though, we're going to be watching very closely the hotspots. We're going to be taking care and watching very closely our senior citizens, especially those with a, a problem or an illness. We're going to be watching them very, very closely. And we can do that and have an open economy, have an open country. And we have to do that because that causes other problems. And maybe it causes much bigger problems than the problem we're talking about now. You understand? Jeff, please. Mr. Thank President, you. following up on that same topic and on your tweet, do you think that the cure so far has been worse than the problem? Uh, I think the cure has been very tough. This has been a very tough. This was an operation. This was somebody going to a doctor and saying, you need an operation. And we've had an operation. We've learned a lot. And we fixed a lot of problems. Uh, One of the things we fixed, if you look at the obsolete system that this administration inherited, it wasn't meant for this. It was meant for a small group of people. And even for that, it was not very good and very obsolete. We now have a testing, we have a testing program now that will hopefully be able to be used for many years into the future should we have another event like this. I don't think you'll have another event like this. This is very unique. You look back into time. You look back decades and decades. Uh, we can name them all, even if you go back 10 years. You know, you go back to... Come back. Come back. Come on, Avis, before you go. Um, okay, uh, Avis is not there. Brittany, I'm going to go to Brittany and Scott. This fool literally just said, I doubt we're going to see this again. <laughs> Brittany... <laughs> I mean, literally. Brittany, go take it. You can take go first. Literally, literally, experts are saying that the greatest threat to our future are going to be these type of Mm -hmm. viruses. 
we're going to continue to see them. And this is why we have a national pandemic team. I mean, until he, you know, dismantled it in 2018. Mm -hmm. This is why we have a national team to continue to handle these crises. This is not the first one. I don't know what he's talking about. Historically, we have had tons of pandemics, um, but this won't be the mm -hmm. last one. So, again, he's giving misinformed um, and just incorrect information. And, and what's crazy to me is listening to him speak, and he's constantly trying to throw blame on others. First off, Donald Trump, we know that we're in this situation as a result of you dismantling the pandemic team, cutting funding to the CDC, um, you know, dragging your feet, telling people that this is a Democratic host, not putting in uh, not putting in the order for the Defense Production Act, all of the things that all of these people are telling you should have been done and need to be done. Um, but to hear him blame President Obama and his administration, to hear him blame, you know, China, to hear him say that this is the Chinese virus, you know, it's it's offensive and it's getting away from what actually needs to be done. It's not about you, Donald Trump. It's about the millions of people that are going to be affected, that have been affected, and people that are, are, are scared to lose their lives. Scott, Donald Trump, have you ever heard of Ebola, SARS, yes. uh, the Black Plague, the bubonic plague, if you will, even more recently? Um, uh, what else is it? E1N, uh, you name it. We've had pandemics that have not hit the U.S., uh, but hit other parts of the country, and we've helped people beat these pandemics back. But this is not something that is super unique. It's super unique because we didn't prepare for it. Uh, that's a big difference, if you will. And, you know, it's pretty bad when a lawyer like me, uh, Roland, can raise five or six pandemics, and I'm not even a doctor or a scientist, someone you would listen to. But the fact of the matter is, even if you, if you read and have an ounce of intelligence, uh, and you read what experts are saying, the greatest threat, as you said, uh, to our civilization, to our economy, of these pandemics that we don't pay attention to. And so uh, I hope America pays attention to where we are right now, because I do think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, but but what, what, is, what is really troublesome, more than troublesome, is that there's a strong feeling by most Americans and in my community that that this could have been prevented. The, the, uh, the, the flu strain, the COVID-19 may not have been prevented, but it would not have had this huge impact on, on us and our communities and the economy. And I think, Roland, the real question is, and I hope you talk about this tonight, is where do we go from here? When we get ahead of it, when the when the when the charts that ain't level happening, out, that ain't happening. When it does though, but no, no, no. But here's the problem. It, it will happen. But hold on, hold the problem. It may take God, too long. Go, go right now to the okay. news conference. Listen to what this fool is saying. Having <laughs> a hot spot, uh, and we can do we can do both. Now we may quarantine. I mean, we will be quarantining quarantining many people in these areas. There are other areas that just aren't affected or they're affected very little. And why would we close down 100 percent of the country? There are areas within New York where New York will be open, but there are areas within New York. Remember this, New York has the New York Stock Exchange. It has NASDAQ. It has the exchanges. Um, to close the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ and all of, with all of the great work they're doing, I mean, they've gone largely to computer, you look at the floor, it's incredible what they can do, but it's fully open. Uh, but we don't want to be doing that. But we can do, uh, what I'm saying basically is that we can do two things simultaneously. And we've had this incredible learning period. Plus, people have been in a period and they won't be calling, oh, gee, 
because I've got many, many people that now come to me and say, we get it. We think we can really do it now and do it while we're open. So at some point, we'll be setting some guidelines. We'll be setting some datelines, and uh, we'll be announcing them in the not-too-distant. Yeah. That's why you're not going to get ahead of it. Oh, but it's worse than that. Watch this. You're not going to get ahead of it because what this fool is going to do is open it back up and we're going to have groups and folks in the offices and everything. And then all of a sudden. Okay, so here it is. I'll take you, I'll supplement that. The reason you have pockets where, where people are, quote, not COVID-19 or don't have corona is because they don't know they have corona and you don't know they have corona because you don't have it tested. You don't have enough test kits. I said this on the show last week. I want to go get tested. Will somebody tell me where I go get tested? Oh, you can tell me, but I, guess what? I got a friend I right now. I'm not manifesting symptoms and I'm not in my 60s, so then they won't even test me. I got a friend. That's why you have pockets Dude, of people. I got a former colleague who has had a had a fever uh -huh. for a week, she can't get a test. Can't get oh. one. You can call hospitals in the DMV. You can call, I've called three of my doctors. You can't get that test. But again, this is the ignorance. You, you have pockets where people aren't getting it, but it's only because we don't, they don't know they have it because they haven't been tested. So if you got tested, you know. But we can't do the test. That's the, that's the killer part of all of this. If, if we had had tests, if we were doing a million tests a year, or I'm sorry, a million tests a month, 500,000 a month, he might be right. But the tests aren't available. And so that's why you're self-quarantining, because you don't know what you don't know. And that's the curse of how we responded to this. It is crazy. First of all, go back to the news conference. Here's that crazy reporter for OANN. He was talking about how you said, you know, the cure shouldn't be worse than the problem. And he was talking about reopening the businesses, getting the economy going back and going again. What are those difficult trade-offs? Well, it is true. I mean, if he said, I didn't hear him say that, but if he said difficult trade-offs, sure, it's less convenient. Before you walk and you hop in the subway and you grab the handle and you go down to wherever you're going on Wall Street and you do all sorts of things and you go in and you open the doors going into your great buildings or into the exchanges and now you're not going to have to maybe think about doing that or you're going to think about doing it a different way. No, no, there are many trade-offs. It's a different life and maybe it'll remain that way, frankly, after the invisible scourge is gone. Maybe it's going to stay that way. Not a bad thing to stay that way, but uh, no, there are trade-offs. There's no question about that. But I actually think it's going to I think in the end we're going to end up being bigger, better, and stronger. We're, we have learned a lot. Please. We're seeing an increase of cases in Latin America, in uh, the Middle yeah, East, it's true. in Latin some places America. in Asia. Are you considering a new round of travel ban? No, we're not really. I mean, something like that could happen, I guess, but we're not really. I'm telling y'all, I'm telling you right now, y'all, he just up there just making shit up. Just straight up. He's just up there just... I'm just going to throw out anything. I'm just going to see if it sticks. That's what you're dealing with right now. And yet, and the people who are probably going to be most affected are the people who watch Fox News. Matter of fact, uh, matter of fact, an elderly couple in Arizona, I was just seeing the tweet. So they, that, you know, that the hydrochlor, whatever, this, what he's calling the miracle drug. Well, apparently this elderly couple saw a similar name and this stuff is used in fish tanks. They inhaled it. The couple inhaled it. The wife has already died. And the man is on the brink of death. This is why you cannot let Donald Trump... Y'all, I'm telling you right now, listen to me. 
Do not listen to anything that Donald Trump says. Listen to nothing. Listen to the experts. Okay? If you listen to what this man says, it may put your life at risk. I'm just telling you right now, that's exactly what's going on. All right, folks. Um, as this virus continues to spread, hospitals are finding themselves overwhelmed with requests for tests and ventilators. Unfortunately, in many cases, those things are hard to come by. Joining me now to talk about this is Yobi Benjamin, whose company is in the process of building ventilators for the UK and believes that in-home testing should be allowed in order to take the pressure off of hospitals. So, Yobi, how, how would that work, this, this home testing? Has it been approved, or is it now you have to get tested and it must be sent off to a lab? Um, right now, uh, the current tests that are available in the marketplace are pretty much approved. We have a test kit that's approved, but only if a doctor supervises the collection of mucus samples from patients, either doctor, nurse, nursing aide, or some other medical professional. What is not approved is in-home testing, and we're advocating that we allow for in-home testing so that we can expand uh, our knowledge of how large the virus has really gone into the population. How would that work? How, how would in-home testing work? If you, if you did an in-home test, is it sent to your lab? Is it sent somewhere else? And how long does it take to get the results back? So uh, in-home testing, um, the process of in-home testing is not difficult itself. You need to go and take a swab and swab the very back of your throat to collect some mucus, basically. However, uh, the other issue that we face in, in the testing regimen or the testing supply chain is that it's possible that the package in which a, a test sample is sent might be contaminated. Our particular product uh, kills the virus and preserves the RNA of the virus uh, for 30 days or beyond. So it can, it can stay on a shelf for one day, two days, three days because of the delay of many, many tests coming forth. But the other problem, as I said, is happening is you have to treat this, uh, this test as biohazard. So we have to set up special collection points in various cities so it can be picked up safely and we don't affect our courier drivers, whether they're UPS, the US mail, or so on and so forth. In uh, overall, the test itself, when you bring it to a lab, doesn't really take more than an hour and 45 minutes. Much of the delay that you hear about is not caused by the duration of the test itself, but the complexity of the supply chain. It is not really, it has nothing to do with the test because eat the test itself. Many people are saying like, oh, we have a test that's faster, it's 45 minutes, it's by your bedside. But that's not material really because the current technology we have you're able to test a particular sample in maybe an hour and 45 minutes, maybe two hours. So that's not material. What's material is fixing the supply chain from how it gets from, the, from either a doctor or a patient or an in-home user all the way to the lab and all the way to finishing the PCR test. So as you're looking at this right now, as you're listening to what, what they're saying, you heard the, the, the folks at the White House touting, uh, they've tested, you know, 250,000 tests at these private laboratories. I mean, we haven't even hit a billion. I mean, and, so, <laughs> and, and these people are acting as if that this thing is solved. It, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not much of a political person, but I will tell you from a science point of view, uh, if you don't know the denominator uh, of, this, of this virus, in other words, if you don't know exactly who is sick, or you can't even model it in large numbers, it's very, very difficult to fight. Because as, your pre as Dr. Elders pointed out, as some of your previous uh, guests have pointed out, many, many people are asymptomatic. It means they have no signs of the virus. They walk around, they shake hands, they play with their kids, whatever. And frankly, they're shedding virus and infecting people. And that's the real danger. That's why uh, I don't think it's a very good idea to reopen certain parts of the country. Because as, again, science will point out to you that there are many, many, many asymptomatic people walking around. And some of them could be super spreaders. All right. Uh, Yobi Benjamin, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. We'll certainly see what happens, and hopefully these people in the White House are going to get it out, figure it out, because, again, uh, Americans are getting sick, Americans are dying, and this is not the time for us to be letting up uh, on uh, social distancing. Thank you very much, Rowan. All right, thanks a lot. Folks, we're going to go to a break. We come back. We're going to talk about what's happening in our prisons with a woman uh, who is very much involved in that. A, ma a number of people have tested positive for coronavirus in Rikers Prison in New York and others around the country. Are these places being incubators and could we be seeing inmates put at risk? Also, uh, we'll talk with Reverend Dr. William J. Barber about the digital campaign being launched by the Poor People's Campaign. We'll talk about that, as well as give you the update on Byron Allen's Supreme Court case decision came down today. All of that next. Roland Martin Unfiltered, back in a moment. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, let's see how much lines taking place at the White House. Let's go back of nasty language toward the Asian Americans in our country, and I don't like that at all. These are incredible people. They love our country, and I'm not going to let it happen. So I just wanted to make that point. Because they're blaming China. Chinese people are blaming China. And they are making statements to great American citizens that happen to be of Asian heritage, and I'm not going to let that happen. Please. You say you want to reopen the country, but most schools across the country are closed. Two states now are closed for the rest of the school year. How are parents supposed to go back to work and educate their children yeah, right now? The governors of the various states will have a lot of leeway. If we open up, and when we open up, the governors in certain states, for instance, uh, you go to some of the states I just mentioned, those schools are going to be open. In many cases, they're open now. But the schools are going to be open. Uh, in other cases, uh, Governor Cuomo, uh, Gavin Newsom of California, certain governors are going to maybe have a decision to make. Now, they may make a decision to keep them open in a certain part of New York and maybe in Westchester County or, or wherever it may be, they'll keep them closed. But they're going to have leeway. We're giving the governors a lot of leeway. Do you agree with 
decision to close it several months out at this point. These governors are saying they're expecting a peak in the next couple of months and have made a decision for the, the governors are going to make those decisions. That's going to be up to the governors. And they're very capable. They'll be able to make the decisions. Please. Sir, will you explain why a $2 trillion economic stimulus is needed if you are going to reopen the country in a period of weeks, not months? Because the, uh, the virus has had a big impact on our country. So we're going to give a stimulus so that the workers can live their life. It was not their fault. It wasn't the workers' fault. And uh, we are going to give a, a kick so that it's a kick. And this way, we think the workers can get a fair start. The small businesses we're taking very good care of. We want to take care of these small businesses. They really are the engine of this country. A lot of people don't know that. You know, everyone thinks of these great, big, beautiful businesses who, by the way, have been very badly hurt also. But these small businesses have really historically been the engine, and they still are the engine of the country. And uh, you'd be amazed. The workers love those businesses, and the workers contact us, and they want us to help those businesses, because that's where they've made their living. That's where they, you know, they've been paid a lot of money over the years. And, you know, you've been seeing what's happened over the last three years, where salaries and wages have gone up very substantially for those workers. And then we got caught by this sudden uh, craziness coming into our country and coming all over the world. So uh, we need to make sure that the companies are strong. Yeah, he literally just said the wages yeah, of these small the, business workers have gone up substantially over the last several years. That is a lie. A lie. A lie. Go back. Uh, you're going to have to save uh, various, I mean, you, you know a lot of the companies yourselves. We have a company that was, uh, I think, the greatest company in the world named Boeing. Boeing's going to need some help. Now, Boeing had some difficulty before. That's unlike others. We have other country, companies that didn't have a problem coming in. Boeing had the obvious problem that everybody knows about from a little more than a year ago, a double problem, and it was a big one. Uh, and then on top of it, as they're getting ready to really show their stuff, on top of it, we all get hit by this. And obviously, uh, the airlines are going to have a problem, but the airlines aren't going to be buying from Boeing or from anybody else right now because of this, uh, this difficulty. So we have to work with the airlines. We have to work with the cruise lines. We have to work with the companies like a Boeing, because Boeing's a potentially, again, a great company. It had a very rough period of 13 months, a very rough period, a horrible period, an unbelievable period. If you would have told me this would have happened to Boeing, I wouldn't have believed it, because to me it was, you know, truly one of the great, uh, one of the truly great, probably uh, almost one point of GDP, if you can think of that. It's hard to believe that a company could have that kind of an impact. But Boeing, we have to work with it uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's a great company that we have to save. Number two, it produces unbelievable numbers of jobs. And uh, so, you know, the numbers uh, have to be well, reflective of that man. kind of a thing. Please. Boeing you know is in do? trouble we have, because uh, of the 737 MAX. That's why Boeing's in trouble. Because they rushed a plane out. They've lost billions. They've lost billions on the cutback on the orders of those new planes. And because of the liabilities they got to pay out because of those crashes. Dr. Burks, we seem to be talking about different geographical slopes on this. The curve would be changing. 
And yet you just said that 20% number coming out of New York gives an indication that we don't quite know when the seeds, to use your, your metaphor, were planted. So how confident are you on the start dates of each curve for each of the geographical areas that the president seems to be indicating we'll be adjusting the policy for? So that's a very good question. So what we do know is now we can backtrack from people who get very seriously ill to when they probably got infected versus when they were exposed. And so when you start backing out each of those pieces, when you start seeing hospitalized patients, you know that the virus has probably been there for three to four weeks substantially circulating within the population. So that's what we're looking for. Now, as all of our testing is improved, and we want to really applaud the group who has worked on it. You know, if you look at the pandemic flu preparedness, all of this was built on a flu platform. It was never, ever thought that you'd have a simultaneous respiratory disease hitting at exactly the same time as your flu hits in the country. And so when you're doing all of your flu surveillance, you could have small cases of these pneumonias and flu-like illnesses. All right, y'all, here's the deal. Okay, we're going to dip out of that. Bomb lines is here. One thing that's happening right now across the country, we're seeing the impact of people who are in uh, prisons. Joining us right now is Andrea James, Executive Director of the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. Andrea, we're seeing a major break outbreak at Rikers Island, other prisons across the country. What are you hearing when it comes to these prisons, how they are protecting inmates? Guys, I can't hear Andrea. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Martin. Go right ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. For including our voices on this uh, important issue. Uh, uh, As people with direct experience, I think it's really a loss when we don't include us in this conversation. So thank you. Um, We have had an extensive uh, communications network in prisons and jails across the country, uh, mostly for the past week and a half now. Um, documenting all of the reports that are coming in from women primarily, but also from men in jails and prisons across the country. And it's alarming. Um, we all know as, as, as incarcerate, formerly incarcerated people what it's like to even have uh, a, a, a cold uh, while we are incarcerated. And so to be faced, um, with, as incarcerated people now are faced uh, with something as dangerous, as life-threatening, um, as COVID-19 in places such as jails and prisons where you, there is no social distancing. Uh, there's no adequate health care. There's already overcrowding. Um, there's already uh, lack of resources. Uh, and there's already lack of humanity um, that uh, we still, for the most part, we are seeing more and more reports coming in of good things. Just, just today, uh, the uh, court in New Jersey um, has ordered that people in jail be temporarily released as a result of COVID-19. And then down the road, as things turn around or turn the corner, whenever that may be, to then consider who amongst those folk would need to, uh, in their uh, discretion of the court's discretion, need to return. But that's a huge gain. That has only come about as a result of all of the intel and all of the voices and the raising of concern that has happened among uh, people inside connecting with uh, those of us uh, on the outside who are carrying their concerns and the families of incarcerated people who also are using their voices to raise the alarm that the community does not stop um, at the prison wall. Our community, for us, 
incarcerated and formerly incarcerated people includes all of us, and so should the humanity of this country. Terrible things are happening in jails. There are no masks. There's no soap. There's no uh, running water in some in some places. People are being pushed into parts of prisons and jails where there are not. It's a it's what we co we what we call a dry cell. Um, those are those are cells and those are rooms within prisons where there's no toilet. There's no running water. Uh, solitary confinement is being used in many cases to uh, uh, quarantine people who uh, they don't know because they're, nobody nobody is being tested in the jails. Uh, COs are coming down with uh, uh, COVID-19, with the coronavirus. And so this is just a disaster, a human disaster, a human fatality disaster waiting to happen. Are we seeing state officials... Um focus on this, or is it pretty much, uh, look, we got other people to worry about as opposed to people who are sitting in jails and prisons. Because this, 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 because remember, as I keep telling people, there are 2.3 million people who are incarcerated in the United States, only 200,000 on the federal level. Majority of the people in this country are incarcerated in local, county, and state jails. And so, I mean, we're talking about, that's 2 million people. And all of a sudden, if you're hearing 20 and 30 and 40 people in Rikers Island testing positive for coronavirus, you start going to other prisons, I mean, you're going to see a significant outbreak in America's prison and jails. That's right. And so some, uh, there's, there's an increasing number of state uh, administrators uh, who oversee jails and prisons who are um, coming out in favor of release um, some of it's coming out in the form of releasing in certain categories, such as uh, elderly and the people with already compromised uh, immune uh, systems, uh, 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 letting people come out who are already within a year of release. Um, we're seeing a, a small uptick in that. Um, things like, again, what happened today out of the New Jersey court, ordering that all people in jail be uh, receive those re those that temporary release. Uh, more are coming up with. Then we have states like Massachusetts, my home state, which absolutely nothing is being done in terms of uh, trying to reduce, decarcerate the jail, uh, not even the jail population. We have so many women. We have a national state clemency campaign under our organization, on the National Council. We have lists of names of long-timers, of elderly, uh, folk who in both federal and state prisons um, who could be released immediately, who are uh, uh, no further harm, um, have served decades in prison, who we were already advocating for clemency for. Uh, we know who these people are. Um, we need to encourage those state actors. The Association of Governors, there's a letter that's going out today by a, a number of organizations, including ourselves, the Leadership Conference, the National Bail Fund, a collective that has come together to make these um, demands to encourage state governors to uh, do what they can. You are absolutely right. The majority of people that are incarcerated and are affected by incarceration in this country are cycled in and out of county jails. Um, and these are mostly people that don't need to be there. And, and if I could just add one more thing to it while we're on it, there are also people who have been in prison uh, that could come out today and, the, and, and not allowing us to just run wild with the narrative that if we release people, they have nowhere to go. There are some people who are currently incarcerated, and we do have a housing problem for formerly incarcerated people in this country, mostly because it's another example of systems that have failed the most marginalized people. But what we do also have is a strong, vibrant community of incarcerated, formerly, I'm sorry, uh, family members of incarcerated people who are waiting to receive their loved ones. Many incarcerated people from county, 
state and federal systems have a home to go home to. They have families who are waiting to receive them. Uh, so we must weigh all of these things. And most importantly, we must begin the process of getting people out of what is certainly, for those of us who have been in prison, know what it's like to live in a prison, know that that is a death trap. It is a death trap before COVID-19. It is now a certain death trap if we allow people unnecessarily to remain incarcerated. Andrea Jane, executive director of the National Council for Incarcerated and Formerly Incarcerated Women and Girls. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. All right, folks, let's go back to the clown show at the White House. Well, I think if you remember just a week ago, Britain had a very different approach. So everybody is adapting to their data. I haven't looked at the data that informed that decision, so I can't really comment on how they got to that decision there or in Germany. Just to be clear, do you agree with the president's push to reopen the country? He said some of his doctors that he's talking to about this, he says, I think they're okay with it. Are you okay with that? What the president has asked us to do is to assemble all the data and get us, give, a, give him our best medical recommendation based on all the data. That's what he's asked us to do. And so that's what we'll be doing this week. We were going to have to do it this week anyway, yep. because we had to make a decision come Monday about the 15 days to reduce social spread. So this Answer is consistent the question. with our mandate to really do you use agree? every yes piece no? of information that we can in order to give the president our opinion that's backed up by data, not our perception, but our opinion that's backed up by data. Now you think you could in a week? Like, What, what would your assessment be of right now? Well, we're, we're pulling all of the data pieces in now, and that's really critical. I don't like to, I will never speculate on data. I will have to see the data. But the fool to your, to your right to really speculates understand. on data. I think a big factor is the mortality rate. We're talking about the mortality rate. You know, when we first started, people were thinking about 3 and 4%, and now we're talking about a much lower number than that. I think it's a I think it's a number that will be a lot different than people thought. The mortality rate is driven almost exclusively as we have talked about by people with pre-existing conditions and older. So that has become from the very beginning that was our emphasis, you know, when we started two or three weeks ago talking with one another. Our focus has been on how do we protect Brittany, do you hear all this double talk? Do you, do you hear the all the double talk? And I think you, these you steps were about protecting Is Brittany still there? Conditions. Brittany, so I mean, y'all pull, the drop the audio of the White House. Drop the audio of the White House. Brittany, go ahead. I, I feel bad for all the people standing around President Trump because, you know, they're deferring to him, they're looking over to him, and it's because they don't, they don't, wrong. They know he's giving out incorrect information, and that's why they're dodging questions. Because if to answer the question honestly, you're going to embarrass the president because he's not giving out facts. Um, it's interesting. She's like, well, I don't want to speculate. We want to wait on data. There is data right now that says that we should not be reopening up businesses. We don't have enough tests. We don't know who has it and who doesn't. So it's very clear that she's actively dodging questions um, and deferring to the president because the information that she would give would probably be counter to what he's telling people. Well, and the other thing that's also crazy about this whole deal is that they're asking him about the schools reopening and stuff like those, and he's like, well, it's going to be up to the governors. The woman asked, so if people go back to work and the kids are out of school... The governors have already made that decision, then what are you going to do? And guess what? Trump has to... Here's what people don't understand. Trump has no power over schools. He's no power over the schools. Mm -hmm. Okay? So if Virginia 
or North Carolina or South Carolina or California or New York chooses. And they keep, he keeps saying this shutdown up to the governors. The governors are the one who have issued shelter-in-place orders. There's no national shelter-in-place order. Hello. Hello. It's very scary thinking about, you know, locally executed, state-mandated, and federally supported uh, the way they're saying it. It, it, it. It's truly petrifying. And um, I don't know what we're going to do. And I think that, you know, him talking about, well, we're going to kind of base it off of certain states. And it's it, and there are so many healthcare professionals, there are so many scientists that have said everything needs to shut down at the same time. I mean, look at the UK. Boris Johnson just said we are going on a federal three-week shutdown, period. Um, and the simple fact that the United States hasn't followed suit or done anything, knowing that our numbers are literally right behind China and Italy, is petrifying. One pull of thought right now, Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, of course, uh, one of the national conveners of the Poor People's Campaign. Reverend Barber, uh, it, it, is, it is stunning to watch the, the sheer and utter incompetence coming out of the White House every single day. You also look what's happening uh, on Capitol Hill where, where uh, you have the debate going on there. Uh, the Democrats, for the second time, have voted against closure, and so therefore, uh, the bill that uh, the Republicans want them to vote on—you uh, know—they are desperate for that to move forward. Mitch McConnell is really upset, blasting Democrats, uh, talking about how they—they they are, you know, failing America and all of this sort of stuff. In fact, uh, I want to play for you uh, something Mitch McConnell said that I want you to comment on this, uh, Reverend Dr. Barber. So, folks, uh, okay. here's Mitch McConnell. Take this out, y'all. This, this today on the Democratic wish list over which they choose, over which they choose to block this legislation last night. Tax credits for solar energy and wind energy. Provisions to force employers to give special new treatment to big labor. And listen to this, new emission standards for the airlines. Are you kidding me? This is the moment to debate new regulations that have nothing whatsoever to do with this crisis? That's what they're up to over there. American people need to know it. Democrats won't let us fund hospitals or save small businesses unless they get to dust off the Green New Deal. I'd like to see Demo Senate Democrats tell New York City doctors and nurses Reverend Barber, they're complaining because Democrats say there's too much pork, if you will, uh, in this bill. Uh, what, what say you when you listen to the whining complaining of, uh, of uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell? Uh, in this bill, uh, what, what say you when you listen to the whining complaining of, uh, of uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell? Uh, in this bill, uh, what say you when you listen to the whining complaining of... Hold on one second, hold on one second. Hold on one second. We've got some cross audio going. Uh, and so, so guys, hold on one second. So let's go ahead and fix that. Uh, okay, Reverend Barber, uh, we're hearing some cross audio. So on your end, if they could turn down uh, or just turn down the audio from the show, then we can actually hear okay. you. Okay, go right ahead. So first of all, Mitch McConnell is lying. Uh, the main, one of the main issues is that they want to give $500 billion to corporations without any riders on it, the Trump administration, uh, once again, focusing on the corporation and not on the community, not on the poor, not on the working poor, and not on the people who are on the front lines. And he knows that. When he, he, he calls it a wish list, for instance, strengthening health care for him is a liberal wish list, 
and not something we need to do to save lives. Uh, making sure people have money. You know, they don't even really want to give the, the, the meager amount of $1,000 because in one of the bills, they even make that so that it, the money that you get goes down, went down uh, the poorer you are. So this is, again, Republicans who want to make money off of people suffering, who believe the answer to every problem is trickle-down economics, just give it to the corporations. You even heard Trump say he doesn't want to um, nationalize certain things because, quote-unquote, he sees that as socialism, when, in fact, we have plenty of socialism uh, for the wealthy and the greedy. The other thing is McConnell, if you look at 2 million poor people in Kentucky, and he isn't even looking out for them um, because all he's concerned about is the corporate donors. That's all he's concerned about. And then the third thing, um, uh, Roland, what what, scared, what I'm concerned about is, now, if McConnell was up there arguing to get more judges that were against a woman's right to choose, you'd have all these white evangelicals and religious folks just jumping and supporting it if he was talking about being against gay people. But when he's talking literally about passing a bill that's going to hurt poor and working poor people and not really protect us and not strengthen health care, you don't hear anything from them. Not one word. What he is doing is a scandalous and sinful use of political power. Um, it, 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 is, it is abhorrent to see what is doing. It's abhorrent to see what Trump is doing. And the fact that what, but what we are, one good thing about it, it is a good thing, is that we are seeing in living time that anybody who just says Trump, Trump, Trump doesn't understand the depth of this craziness. Uh, McConnell, in some ways, is worse than Trump and more powerful than Trump because the legislation has to come through him. And just getting rid of Trump is not going to be enough for this democracy. It's going to have to be a total reset. Uh, when you look at what the, the, the Senate, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean I, I listened to some of the debate earlier, and Susan Collins was railing against Democrats yeah. and John Kennedy, and all of them were just railing against him. What, you know, for you, what should this bill look like? Should it should should it be first? Let's deal with the workers, or when you hear Trump say, "Oh no, we got to help the airlines and the cruise lines, and we got to help <laughs> Boeing," and I mean, I, I, I didn't hear him say we got to help. The employees of Boeing, it was like, no, nah, we got to nope. help Boeing. Nope. And, and that's the point. We, we, we want to get, they want to give more money to the same people that took the other tax cut and basically bought their own stocks. We want to, that's their solve. You know, but now we have to understand throughout history, there have been those who were cynical enough to make money off of people's hurt. There are a lot of people that made money during the Great Depression. You know, when Roosevelt pushed the past Social Security, there was some that said, don't put it with the agrarian culture and the domestic culture, left out 50% of white women and almost all black people. But you don't hear them saying, let's protect the nurses' aides and the nurses. And I'll tell you another group, let's protect the janitors who have to clean the soil piece. We're talking about people who are at risk. Let's protect the maids. Let's protect the sanitation workers. Let's make sure everybody has a living wage. Let's make sure, and not just for three months, but permanently. Let's make sure we make permanent paid sick leave and time off. You don't hear them arguing for those things. It's all about we have to do this $500 billion. Now, remember, that's $500 billion on top of already $1.5 trillion that they found overnight. And isn't it amazing, uh, Roland, that when um, Bernie Sanders or, or Elizabeth Warren were talking about Medicaid for all, 
the whole argument by Democrats and Republicans, we don't have the money. We can't find the money. And isn't it amazing that, that they want to give all this money to the airlines and the cruise liners? And some of the cruise liners don't even have their offices uh, in America, by the way. But this same group, McConnell, if you go back in history, they were the ones that cut the money to the community health centers. My daughter is a Ph.D. in public health. And she said, Dad, it's not just that we don't have the money. We don't have the infrastructure because of all the ways in which extremists who call themselves Republicans cut community funds, cut hospital funds, block health care. And now we don't even have the infrastructure to deliver what the people need. Uh, so the, the talk about this is that digital campaign with the, the Poor People's Campaign is launching. Well, we're launching a major digital campaign. We have what's called a moral response to poverty and pandemic, and we put it together with some leading um, um, thinkers. And what we should be doing both permanently, uh, temporarily and permanently, is online now. You can pull it. We did it with MoveOn.org. We've had thousands of people to sign on, have quarter million people the other night come on and go through it, and, and we've, we've loosed them to call McConnell, call Schumer, call Pelosi. We believe it's having some impact too, because now Pelosi is saying, well, we're going to write our own bill. You know, we're turning people along digitally. And on June 20th, we now know we have to have a national, a mass poor people's assembly and a national moral march on Washington. But we're going to learn from you, Roland. Instead of we can't do it, you know, that they shut down D.C., no large gathering. So we're going to have the largest gathering online. We're going to have hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people online on June 20th, 2020, mobilizing towards that put in the face of poor and low-wealth people. You know, we're, we're right now, we cannot wait, Roland, another two years to then come back and analyze this and so the inequity. So we're working with two think tanks, one out of Harvard, one out of UCLA, one out of D.C., examining the inequities right now and challenging Democrats and Republicans. And in June, we're going to have a mass gathering to, to, to continue to push the agenda we were pushing before the crisis. Here's the last comment. Because what we have to say is, the crisis did not start for a lot of people in the end of February and March. We were losing 700 people a day from poverty before the pandemic already happened. Quarter million people a year, 140 million people poor and low wealth. Before there was ever a germ, the pandemic has exposed the already existing fissures and crisis in our society. And so we're going totally digital uh, for this mass, but we can't. Somebody said, why don't you postpone? We can't postpone. The last thing we can do now is postpone. The thing we must do is stand up and speak out, particularly for the 140 million, 43 percent of this nation that are poor and low wealth that are not being dealt with in, the, in most of this legislation. Well, especially since, of course, um, the election is still going to go forward. I mean, there will, be, right. there will be an election in November. That's right. And that's why we said June 20th. We're mobilizing to June 20th so we can organize after June 20th. We're mobilizing people not only to tell their stories and shift the narrative, but to build power. We have a study coming out. I hope we can release it on your show. Absolutely. And that study is going to show what will happen, what could happen if just 2 to 3 to 5% of poor and low-wealth people were organized, mobilized around an agenda, and they voted. It could fundamentally shift. In fact, the margin of victory to move McConnell it lies in organizing poor and white folk in the mountains and black folk uh, in the cities of Kentucky. And the margin of victory exists among poor and low-wealth people who are not voting, not who are voting, who are not voting 
because they are not hearing politicians deal with their issues, which is why we're challenging Democrats to stop backing up. They need to make McConnell and them have to, if they want to, if they want to vote stuff down, let them. But don't go in a back room and negotiate out. That's one of the things we have to say to Schumer and to Pelosi. Put a bill together that's what we need. Put it before them and make them vote on it. Don't negotiate poor and low-wealth people out and give in to the bullies and the corporations. We can't do that. All right, then. Reverend Dr. William J. Barber, we shall appreciate it. Uh, thanks for being with us. Anything you need in the future, be sure to let us know. We'll be right here. Bless your heart. Thank you, Doc. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Uh, Brittany, I want to go to you. It was very interesting, of course, last night the Democrats uh, did not go along with this Senate bill uh, voting against closure. Uh, and uh, it was a lot, a lot of conversation today because uh, a lot of the Bernie people were upset with me uh, because I noted that Bernie Sanders was not in Washington, D.C. He was in Vermont, and he had a live stream going last night. Uh, go to my iPad, please. Folks, you will see right here. Uh, this is, and, and actually, some of them were lying, saying, well, though, Elizabeth Warren also did not vote. That's not true. Uh, what you see here are the people who actually voted last night. You see Mitt Romney not voting. You see... Um, uh, right there, uh, Scott of Florida not voting. You also see uh, Mike Lee of Utah not voting. Uh, Corey Gardner's on this list. Uh, he did not vote in Rand Paul. Well, all five of them are being quarantined. Uh, Sanders was not. They were like, well, you know, this is, you know, you, you're wrong because it was closure and his vote wouldn't matter anyway. Here's my whole point, Brittany. If you're still in the presidential race and you're talking about, you know, you're about advancing uh, solutions, Shouldn't you be in D.C., in the room, negotiating, trying to make it happen, and not in Vermont? Now, he says, that was last night, he returned to Washington, D.C. today. I'm sorry, this is all hands on deck. If you are a member of Congress on the House or the Senate side, Republican, Democrat, Independent, I don't care, you need to be in D.C. doing your job. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't look good for Bernie. And, you know, I've been a longtime Bernie supporter. Um, but, yeah, this doesn't look good. He needed to be there to vote. And, and it's not to say that I don't think he cares about the issues. I think that he... Uh, first and foremost, the majority of the policies that he's pushing forward, if they were the policies that were governing the nation, um, we would be in much better shape than under, you know, Donald Trump or even, I would argue, uh, Joe Biden's leadership, because it wouldn't be business as usual. Um, however, this doesn't look good. I've heard a few rumors that he's sick. And of course, if he is sick, it certainly wouldn't help the campaign that he's trying to hold on to um, if that becomes public knowledge. Um but it doesn't look good. I have to agree with you on that one, Roland. And again, and I, I just, I just don't quite understand why, why Bernie supporters act as if he's infallible, like he can't be criticized or critiqued. <laughs> Bottom line is, if you want to be a leader, you need to lead, and that is, you should be there talking to colleagues, trying to get them uh, to, to be on your side, as opposed to uh, just staying where you are. Let me also go do this here. So uh, there's been a lot of talk among Democrats uh, that Joe Biden, what, what happened to Joe? What happened to Joe? Joe should be out there doing daily briefings. Okay, Joe Biden's campaign released this video last night. I want to talk about it. Uh, guys, go to my iPad. We're trying to put a corporate bailout ahead of millions of families. You know, it's families. It's simply wrong. We should be focusing on families. The White House and the United States Senate Republicans have proposed a $500 billion slush fund for corporations with almost no conditions. And you don't have to tell Americans where it's going to go for months. You don't have to explain what you did with it. The Trump administration could allow money to, for stock buybacks, for executive pay. Republicans, Republicans refuse to increase Social Security at the same time, to forgive student loans, to take the necessary steps to stop evictions, ensure food and nutrition for vulnerable families. Senator McConnell should immediately allow a bipartisan okay, vote. Okay, so here's the deal. Um, 
All the people, where's Joe? Where's Joe? He was gone for four or five days. Campaign said they were building this studio in his home for, to allow them to do these uh, video updates. Here's the deal. And let, me just, and let me just go ahead and be clear. And I talked about this last night on social media. I'll say it right now, Brittany. Love to get your thoughts. What in the hell can Joe Biden actually say every day? Here's the reality. Joe Biden is the former vice president. He's not the current vice president. He's not a cabinet member. He's not a governor. He's not a county official. He's not a mayor. He can't move resources. All Joe Biden can do is do a daily briefing where he criticizes Donald Trump. That's all he can really yeah. do. Now, if I'm a Democrat now, here's the piece. If you want a daily Democratic response, you're actually getting it. You've got Andrew Cuomo, who's the governor of New York. You've got Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. You've got Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York. You've got J.B. Pritzker, who's the governor of uh, Illinois. You've got the governor of Michigan. You've got the governor of Wisconsin. You've got the gov you got governors of all these different states like this here. The issue is here. If I'm looking for Joe Biden to comment every day, I need him to say something that's new every day. What is he going to say every day? Wash your hands. Listen to your doctor. If you got a fever... Drink some water. I mean, so the reality is, it's limiting with what he can say, and pretty much folks are going to be tuning him out. I personally think that that's people who don't like Joe Biden, a lot of the Bernie Sanders people as well. Where's Joe? Where's Joe? Where's Joe? But he doesn't have any resources to move around. And so having Joe Biden do a daily response actually doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, I... I I don't think we need to see a daily response from Joe Biden. I do agree with you there. Um, I think, you know, people do want to hear uh, from Joe Biden because they feel as though this is potentially going to be, God willing, our next president. And they want to hear his plans. However, he did come out with a release and talk about what he would do if he was president, as did Bernie Sanders. Yeah, so but, but, but his, critic said, oh, that was, his critic said that was five days ago. But that's, but Bernie, what, that's what it was. I have to say there isn't there isn't anything there isn't anything new to say at this point. Um, like you've said before, um, we're getting all the information we can on a day to day basis from our healthcare professionals and from our leaders on the topic. So, you know, I think you're right. I think hearing anyone else who doesn't actually have the capacity to make a difference um, doesn't need to have a day to day briefing. Like you said, I think Governor Cuomo is doing an excellent job for the Democratic base, um, talking about his experience in, in, in New York specifically. And like, here's these foolish people like, okay, Mr. Sunrise, Roland's an excuse makers, nothing but a Biden shrill. Okay, but again, what the hell is Joe Biden going to say every day? Just tell me, just tell me. Okay, Mr. Sunrise, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for your comment. I'm waiting for your comment on YouTube. Please type in, what is Joe Biden going to say every day? Who is still in the race and is actually in office? Bernie Sanders. Sanders should be talking every day. He's in the United States Senate. See, this is what is amazing to me when, when I sit here and, I, and, and, and again, the Bernie people don't want to sit here and they don't want anybody to criticize their guy. And look, I got the receipts. When Joe Biden is screwed up, I've said it. I've called him out. But I'm sorry. I don't know what in the hell Joe Biden can say every day that's going to be new and different other than, hey, whatever Trump says, I'm going to criticize him. Now, if that's what folks want, that's fine. But let me tell y'all who should be giving a daily update on the Democratic side. Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, Jim Clyburn, the Democratic leadership. It should be on the Senate side. Chuck Schumer, 
Elizabeth Warren. It should be Patty Murray. It should be the Democratic leadership. That's who should be doing it. And so the reality is, if you're the Democrats, you get to counter Trump every day by having your governors out there, people who are moving resources, making decisions. Joe Biden has absolutely no decision-making authority whatsoever on the federal, state, county, or city level. That's just my two cents. I just don't understand, really, uh, what the folks are going to hear. So, hey, fine. Biden's going to drop a video every single day. People complain about it. They can say whatever. But I just don't see exactly what in the hell is going to be the case. All right, folks, let me go ahead and do this story here. Uh, the Supreme Court has a rule against Byron Allen uh, in his case against Comcast, ruling that, uh, that the uh, lower court, the Ninth Court of Appeals, actually made the wrong interpretation uh, and that they uh, that they need to go back and reconsider. They said that Byron Allen has to actually prove uh, that that was a, actually was his race was the reason why Comcast did not, why they did not uh, grant him access to uh, their, their uh, cable systems for his shows. Uh, folks, this was not a uh, split decision. This was a unanimous decision. Even the liberal justices uh, actually agree with the conservative justices. Now, Byron, Byron Allen did release a statement. Uh, we reached out to him to try to have him on our show, uh, but he released a statement. This is a very bad day for our country. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has rendered a ruling that is harmful to the civil rights of millions of Americans. We will continue our fight by going to Congress and the presidential candidates to revise the statute to overcome the decision by the United States Supreme Court, which significantly diminishes our civil rights. Uh, Comcast uh, said they were pleased with the decision and we're certainly restored, certainly. They said, quote, the well-established, go, go to my iPad, please. The well-established framework that has protected civil rights for decades continues. The nation's civil rights laws have not changed with this ruling. They remain the same as before the case was filed. We now hope that on remand, the Ninth Circuit will agree that the district court properly applied that standard in dismissing Mr. Allen's case three separate times for failing to state any claim. And so the Supreme Court, again, unanimously rules against Byron Allen today uh, in the Supreme Court. Any comment, Brittany? Uh, I'm, I'm torn here. I, you know, I appreciate Byron for holding corporations responsible. I think that's one thing that we can absolutely applaud him for. Um, absolutely, it's unfortunate. Do we want to see another person of color um, who's getting what is due, essentially, absolutely. Um, but it's interesting to hear what their arguments are in terms of why, um, you know, his programming wasn't getting on Comcast in the first place. And they're arguing that it was the quality of uh, work that was being produced, um, which is interesting in and of itself. But I will say this. I applaud Byron Allen for drawing attention to major corporations and holding them responsible um, to black ownership. Well, I'll tell you what, though, but it, it, it does, I mean, I think it also significantly hurts uh, him in that it was unanimous. I mean, not a single justice actually agreed uh, with, with, with his side. It's very rare in cases dealing with race. You're going to find a unanimous Supreme Court decision. Even the liberal jurists did not buy Byron Allen's argument. Yeah, you know, I, I don't want to out any of my of my personal friends, but I have a couple of folks that work in the, uh, you know, the Black History Department over at Comcast, and, and they have a couple of critiques for uh, Mr. Allen in terms of his, his, you know, him being kind of the champion of, you know, civil rights and, you know, equality among Black folks. It seems a bit ill-timed and disingenuous. Um, I don't know how true that is. I don't know uh, Mr. Allen personally. Um, 
But I do think it looks bad. It does look bad, like you said. The entire Supreme Court has unanimously said, uh, you know, we're not with Mr. Allen on this one. Uh, well, again, it goes back to the Ninth Circuit, so we'll certainly see what happens there. All right, folks, that is it for us. Uh, let me see here. Are they still, uh, let's see, are they still uh, going on with the long-winded news conference at the White House? Let me see here. Uh, clearly, Donald Trump, y'all, is desperate for all of the attention, uh, and that's why they're having this long-winded news conference. Uh, they still yakking? Go back. Let's, let's see what new lives we can go in the last three minutes of the show. Their highest rating is today. And now all of a sudden they have difficulty because they've been closed up. So uh, you need something to keep them going. But that money is not going to be wasted money. That money is going to be seen. And we could multiply that number by many times coming back to the American public. That could be a phenomenal thing. But most importantly, it's going to keep these great engines of jobs and, and ingenuity going. Very important. Yeah, uh, how about one or two more and we'll go. Thank you, sir. Are there things you regret in the way you handled the crisis so far? Are there words you regret? I don't think so. You know, I, I'm looking forward. I don't look back. I, I guess there's always something everybody regrets. There are things in your life you regret. We all regret things, but I really like to look forward. I'm a, a person that looks uh, a forward thinker, I guess they would say. Um, no, I, I think that we've handled it really well. It seems to be the American public thinks that we've handled it well. If you look at polling data. Uh, but I'm not interested in myself. I'm interested in the American people. We have to get this going. We have millions and millions of jobs that were solid as a rock three weeks ago. And today, there could be questions. And the faster we get it going, the more likely it is that those stores, little businesses, big businesses, medium-sized businesses open up. And we'll get it going very fast. I really believe this is a pent-up demand. I think that as soon as we say, let's go. And it's going to be pretty soon. It's going to be pretty soon. It's going to be uh, sooner than people would think. We've Again, we're in a position to take care of our country, but at the same time to have the country really, uh, really go up like a rocket ship economically. And that's great for jobs. It's great for everything else. Yeah. Please. Mr. President, I'd like to ask a question for a colleague who can't be in the room because of social distancing. Um, for whom? A colleague who can't be in the room because of our social distancing about Florida. Yeah. He wanted me to ask, should Governor DeSantis have closed all of the beaches in his state? Well, that's really up to the governor. I mean, I think that, first of all, he's a great governor. He's done an incredible job, Governor DeSantis of Florida. And uh, on the beaches, I guess he's recently made a decision. But uh, you do have a lot of room on the beaches. And, you know, I think it's just a decision that, uh, that he made originally, and then he's uh, refined it, and then he's uh, done something that a lot of people agree with what he's done but he's done a lot of things right and he's been truly a, i mean he cares so much about health care he cares so much about the cost of prescription drugs he's been a fantastic governor for florida there's a lot of room on the beaches he literally said there's a lot of room on the beaches i'm done Brittany. i appreciate it thanks a lot I want to thank uh, avis and scott for being on our panel as well as well as our great uh guests on the show Tomorrow, I'm rolling Martin Unfiltered, that brother who's a county commissioner down in Florida who went off. Ooh, yeah. We're going to have him tomorrow right here in Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Folks, support what we do by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Join our Brina Funk fan club. You can use Cash App. It's uh, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. You can go use, you can use uh, our uh, PayPal. You can use Square as well. 
Your dollars make this show possible. Uh, we keep uh, trying to keep you abreast. And again, our goal is very simple. Every day, bringing you black experts who are, you're not seeing these folks on cable news network or broadcast networks. That's why we do what we do every single day. We're going to have them every day talk about coronavirus and how it impacts you. And so we look forward to that. And so thank you for supporting us. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube. Hit subscribe. You can also give. All the people who are watching on YouTube right now, it's more than... Um, Almost 2,500 of you, you can get right there on YouTube. And so we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Thanks for watching on Periscope and Facebook as well. Don't forget, folks, to restream the show. You can see you can see this when we're done. Also watch the restream as well. So I'll see you guys tomorrow right here. Same time, same place. Holla! Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.